Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Amen. Well, good morning, church. This time, we'll go ahead and dismiss our three to five-year-olds. Three to five-year-olds, you can head out for your class this morning. I want to say Happy New Year to those uh, who I've not had the chance to say that to or haven't seen you yet this new year. I uh, hope everyone is um, started off their new year on a good note. Uh, maybe that's with some resolutions or uh, maybe that's just, hey, we're going we're gonna to make it to uh, the best year we've ever lived our life. Uh, but I just want to tell you, there's just bad news straight out of the gate. 2022 is going to have just as much tragedy, just as much loss just as much heartache, just as much stress and anxiety um, that probably 2021 had as well. And so you're kind of like, all right, I take my Happy New Year back. Um, thank you for that good and wonderful news. Um, but here is the good news in regards to that. If you were to go back a year ago to December 31st and of 2020, heading into 2021, God knew everything that was going to happen to each one of us in 2021. He knew every moment, he knew every thought, he knew every tragedy, he knew every loss, he knew every single one of those moments. And what God did in those moments was he pursued you. He pursued you in order to love you in those moments, in order to care for you, in order to sanctify you, in order to love you in every single one of those. And he's going to be doing the, the same thing throughout 2022. And you might kind of answer, the, or you might answer that with, well, he has a funny way of showing it uh, when it comes to that. But one of the tangible ways in which we've seen God show up and love us through all of junk that we've experienced in the last year or two years or whatever it looks like, one of the tangible ways that that has happened is just what we've seen throughout the lives of the people in our church. Where I know of, of families who in a pinch needed child care, whether that was due to work-related things or whatever it might be, and, and community groups surround them and provide child care. I mean, just at the drop of a hat. We've seen all kinds of things that have happened. I know of stories where members needed, um, members were walking through a difficult time or having to go to difficult doctor appointments and other members uh, stopping what they're doing in those moments and just praying for those times, for those doctor appointments that were happening I know of situations where the church contributed financially to others in our church who were in financial crisis or in financial need. I know of situations uh, or times where shoulders were cried on. I know of times where coffee was drunk across the table uh, from people who were just bearing their soul to one another because of the stress and anxiety that they're walking through in their life. I mean, just like any other year, 2020 was not, or 2021 was not shy of loss and heartache. I also know of times where people were celebrated, celebrated throughout the year, whether that was through milestones in life, specifically I know of career changes, home purchases, baptisms, anniversaries, childbirths, and even just, just celebrating someone for the, for the sake of celebrating them because of accomplishments they've had in their life. I know of hundreds of encouraging conversations between members where they're just saying to one another, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you right now. I know of members who took one of our institute classes 
on how to share the gospel. And then they walked into a bank and they shared the gospel with another person who was depositing some money. I mean, just, just in those moments of just taking something that happened and, and looking for opportunities in order to share good news. I know of times where I've walked into a coffee shop and I've seen two of our members sitting at a table with Bibles open. And I've said, hey, what are you guys doing? And they said, we're just, we're just reading God's Word together. We're just studying the Bible together. I know of groups in our churches that have got together and they said, you know, we're just going to read through books of the Bible. We might not have all the answers as we read through this, but we're just going to read through it. I know of a, a group of men, for example, who have read through Ephesians together. They've read through James together. I believe they've read through a few others together. I just know of things that are going on in our church that is good. That's good news for us. Tons of meal trains were organized. I mean, in 2021, we celebrated eight baptisms Throughout the year, our covenant membership grew during this time. I, I had the uh, opportunity to talk to several of my church planting friends from around the country over the last couple of weeks where I know of churches that are 30 to 40% down in covenant membership and or attendance on Sunday mornings. And we grew during 2021. I know of others that are having a like how do they... How do they work through cutting budgets? And we increased our budget into 2022. So I know 2021 has had its ugliness, but at the same time, it has had its beauty as we've walked through and seen God show up in our lives. And it's ultimately God's unflinching, unchanging, and never-ending grace and goodness to us. God's moved in our lives this past year, and what I want to share with you today is is primarily the way in which God has moved in our lives as we sought to love Him by loving one another. And that's going to be one of our, again, one of our biggest pushes for 2022 is diving into this idea of how do we love God by loving one another. I mean, you hear that through the songs that we sang today. You're hearing that through the confession that was just shared. How do we love God by loving one another? And this really is our epiphany series that we're going to be walking through. Josh uh, started it off last week with this idea of being united to Christ in order to be united to one another. And today what we're going to be looking at is how we, how we break this down. Or in the next four weeks, is how do we break down the 59 one another's? And we kind of boiled them into four categories. And the first one today is the idea of, of really a major goal. How do we worship God? By fulfilling the great commandment to love God and to love others. How do we do that in a specific way? And so I want you to see that because you've probably heard that phrase. If you've been around church any time in your life, you've heard that phrase, love God, love one another. It's, it's the mission statement of probably half the churches in the country. Love God, love one another. Where does that come from? And so we're going to open up our Bibles. If you've got one, go ahead and open it up. Matthew 22 is where we're going to be starting out. We'll bounce around to a couple of places, but this is going to be our primary text. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. And we're going to look at this idea of where love God and love one another comes from. Starting in verse 34, it says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and those are just the religious, Jewish religious leaders in Jesus' day at this time. 
they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. He said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. So I want to frame this up for us today so that you can see how this all ties together. We're going to look at the mission, the means, and the method of discipleship. And this passage really gives us the primary mission for discipleship in these two commands that are really just one commandment, actually, but we'll get to that here in a minute. But these two commandments are this. Number one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's where people get the idea of love God. That, that is the goal of humanity is to love God. And that is the primary way in which we worship God, we honor God, we glorify God, is by devoting ourselves to loving Him with all our soul, with all our mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then the second one is, sim is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, part of the mission, the mission of every believer is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus goes on to say, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And here's what that means. From the very beginning, God's design has been for humanity to live in such a way that God is honored, that God is loved, that God is worshipped, and that God is glorified. And that in that, humanity is also loved well. And so one of God's good graces has been giving us instructions on how to do this. Instructions on how to love Him and how to love others. And one of God's good graces has been giving us these instructions through, as He started with Moses, the Ten Commandments. That were etched in stone. You know the story. He goes up on the mountain and he gets these Ten Commandments and he comes down. And these commandments were given to him in order to train the people on what it looks like to live in such a way that God is honored and that people are loved. That, that, that was the purpose of giving these commandments. He then also gave them more commandments to again continue elaborating, expanding, and ultimately seeing that there are Hundreds of ways in order to love God and love one another. So much so that it gets to be over 600 commands. So it's not just the 10. There's a lot more that go into how to love God and how to love others in a way that God is worshipped. That he's worshipped. And it's not bad news that he gave us actually more than we could handle. Or that we were even capable of following. Because that's the reality. If you look at 613 commandments and you try to put them out in a list and you're like, I'm going to follow these in order to love God and love others, you're not going to measure up. You're not going to be able to do it yourself. You can't even do the 10. You can't even do the 10. And even if it was just simply this, me saying, love God and love others, you're even kind of wondering, how do I do that? How do I do that well? Now here's the key. Again, if I were to say that's our 2022 resolution as a church, to love God and love one another, go, do this. You would leave here thinking, at least from a foundational perspective, sweet, I know what to do. I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. 
But again, I'm not exactly sure how to do it. And what we'll find, just like the Israelites found, is that we've got these rules, we've got these commandments that Jesus said are good commandments. We've got them, but as we try to do them day after day, we're going to start to find guilt and shame come into our lives because we don't know how to do them well. Or we go a day without doing it, or a moment without doing it, or seeing an opportunity and we fail to execute that opportunity. And so how do we, how do we kind of resolve this idea of love God and love one another? If this is the great thing, if this is the great commandment, if, if all of the law depends on God telling us to do this, how do we then resolve that in our lives? How do we actually execute what He's called us to do in order to worship Him by loving Him and loving others in this way? Because He didn't tell us to do it halfway. He never tells us to do anything halfway. He tells us to do everything perfectly. How do we do it perfectly? So stay with me here. God gave us one goal. Love Him, worship Him, honor Him, and do this with others. Love one another. That's the goal. That's the mission that we have. How do we do it when we can't do it? Enter Advent, what we just celebrated. Because we can't do it, He has to send someone who can do it. And He sends Jesus. And Jesus is born. Jesus is the only person born of both God and man. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. And He does this as we kind of theologically call hypostatic union, where he's 100% man and he's 100% God, he sends him in order to live out all of these laws. This is what we talk about in the fulfillment of the Scriptures, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus does it all perfectly. He loves God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and he loves others perfectly. Everything that was required in the law in order for this to happen, Jesus does it perfectly. Every thought, every action, every deed, every word, every motive, every moment in his life was perfectly loving God and loving others. And that is incredibly significant for us. Because as we talk about the the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is often referred to as the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the church oftentimes focuses on the death and resurrection because the death is paying your penalty for you so that you don't have to pay it. That's good news. I don't want to die, and I don't want to spend an eternity separated from Him. I don't want to have the wrath of God and the judgment of God poured on me. So Jesus pays that death for us. That's good news. But that's not the only thing Jesus did. We also then harp on Easter and we focus on the resurrection. That not only did He die for us, but He resurrected three days later so that He is the firstborn of the new fruits of the gospel. He is the first one who resurrects to this new glorified body and is guaranteeing the same for everyone who believes in Him. That whenever we die physically here or if He returns, He will take us from these broken down hoopty bodies and He will give us new bodies where we get to spend eternity with Him in a glorified state. The resurrection of Jesus Christ matters. 
100%, absolutely. It's not the only thing. It's not the only thing. What is hardly ever focused on is the actual life of Jesus. That for 33 years, he was doing something for us. He died for us, he rose for us, but he's also living for us. And what he's doing in living for us, earning something for you that you could not earn. He's earning something for you that you could not earn. And what that was is the ability to live a life that honors God and that loves others. Think about it this way in terms of of investing. Think about it in terms of investing. Let's say you want to invest and your goal is to save up or earn a million dollars. A million dollars. And you want to do this in, let's say, 33 years. All right, you want to retire with a million bucks in the bank. What you're going to need to do is you're going to need to invest and save and earn in such a way that you're saving and putting away about $30,000 a year in order to, by the end of it, have a million dollars in the bank. And so what Jesus is doing for 33 years is he's fulfilling each of the law and requirements of righteousness. He's earning that. All right, he's fulfilling it. His bank account is earning this idea of, of, of being able to retire. And then he does one of the most scandalous things that has ever happened in the history of the world. He then freely gives it to those who didn't earn it. And, and then he takes their debt. I mean, no, no one would do this. No one would do this unless it's God himself with his perfect plan and will. To give sinners who have only racked up debt to take it from them and deposit it to his own account so that he can then give you what he's earned. Righteousness. Eternity with God. Relationship with your, your creator, your father. That's what Jesus did. And that's honestly the reason why they killed him and murdered him. It's because he was going around forgiving people of their sins when they didn't deserve it. These Pharisees and Sadducees, they, they didn't want that to happen. They wanted people to earn it because that was their way of making a living. That was their way of away money. That was their way of, of controlling the people, was making them live this works-based system so that it benefited them rather than ultimately honoring God. So how dare someone come in and, and declare to be God and then to declare a system of grace that is giving people something that they don't deserve and allowing them to not have to work for it or have to tithe extra for it. So let's get rid of him. But that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And then he takes it a step for, further. Not only does he earn for you a perfect life of righteousness, which is what's necessary in order to love God and love others, he takes it a step further, and as Josh shared with us last week, he then unites himself to us. He comes to live inside us so that he can live through us so that when he commands you to love God and love others, you can now actually do it because of Jesus in you and Jesus through you. You can now actually do this. This is why we see this in Galatians 2.20. This is the means of discipleship. I've been crucified with Christ. That means your flesh, your sinful identity, your old self has been put to death with Jesus Christ on the cross. 
That's something supernatural and spiritual that God does. He takes your old self, your old identity, and He puts it on Jesus on the cross, your sin, and He kills it. I've been crucified with Christ. And because it's put to death, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live. The, the flesh, sinful Dwayne Gibbs no longer lives. Christ gives me a new identity as Christ to live in me and now lives through me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, believing in Jesus, faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love God by Jesus loving God through me. I love others by Jesus loving through me. By the miraculous union in which Christ comes to live in us and through us, this is good news. We can now, with confidence, be trained and equipped to actually love God and love one another in a way that honors and worships God. We now have the means to live out the mission of doing this. That's all we need to worship God. Jesus. Jesus. That's all we need is Jesus to be able to worship God. We come back to Him as our means to fulfill the mission. This then leads into the method. So again, back to the framework. God gives us the goal of life. Honestly, these are the only two revolving resolutions you ever need. You can like lose weight if you want or diet or you know whatever. The two great resolutions that you need every single year are just putting these two in front of you all the time. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. That's the mission, that's the resolution of our life. The means to execute it is we need Jesus to do that. I need Jesus to live in me, live through me, pray through me, help me with my prayer, help me with my study, help me with how I engage others, help me with how I steward my finances. Jesus, I need you to help me with all of those things because you've done it perfectly already. Help me to do it that way as well. Now, yes, it's going to be imperfectly executed, but he's helping me grow in it so that it is getting closer and closer and closer to looking like how Jesus did it. Jesus, I need you to live through me. I need the means of that. So Jesus comes and fixes it, but then Jesus also provides us with the method on how we are going to spread this throughout the world. How we are to actually go about loving others. I want you to turn with me to John 13, 34 and 35 as we look at this. Because one of the things that we see here in the Matthew passage... Again, Jesus is talking to Pharisees and Sadducees. So he's giving them kind of a bird's eye view of what the great commandments are. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love others as you do yourself. Bird's eye view. John 13, he brings it down to a specific example of how to do this. And so here Jesus is speaking with his disciples and he's providing them the method, the specific, and way, specific way in which they're to fulfill this great commandment, the mission. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, and here's the key, just as I have loved you. 
Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so what does this mean? When Jesus turned 30, and I know a lot of us in this room are knocking on that door. When Jesus turned 30, I know that's depressing for some of you, but it's all right. He chose 12 men whom he was going to disciple whom he was going to help them be more like him. He was going to help them follow Jesus through instruction and relationship. And he was going to do this for three years. He was going to instruct them through relationship. During those three years, Jesus did some specific things for them. And if we're going to abide by and follow the command of Jesus to love God and love one another, and and as Jesus tells us to do it, just as he has done, then the real question to ask is, how did Jesus love the twelve? How did Jesus disciple the twelve? Because this provides for us the method. It provides for us the example. And one of my favorite books is called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert E. Coleman. It's an older book, uh, but I think it is very timely. Master plan of evangelism. It's actually so, it's older generationally that evangelism was the buzz term of the day of what it looked like to just disciple people, just to go out and make disciples. Where evangelism now has kind of moved into that term of like, how do I go to a stranger and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ? All right, that, that, that's almost terrified us now to where now the buzzword is gospel centrality or discipleship. And so back in this day when this was written. It was the master plan of evangelism, getting the good news to others in order to make disciples so that they then go and make more disciples. That was kind of under the umbrella of what evangelism actually was. And one of the things that Robert E. Coleman would do is he actually put together teams of disciples who would follow the Billy Graham Crusades and spend months at a time in these cities to begin discipling these new converts. Connecting them to local churches, connecting them to discipling relationships, because he knew down at the end of that just making converts wasn't going to work in a strategy. Like we need to make disciples who are then able to reproduce and make more disciples. And so what Robert E. Coleman did was he dove into how did Jesus make disciples? What did Jesus do? What did he embody with his life? And so he, he kind of boiled it down into eight principles. And the book is eight chapters, eight principles of how to make disciples. And it really is an easy to fly through these eight principles so that you can kind of have an, an understanding, kind of bird's eye view understanding of what, the way Jesus modeled discipleship. How he expressed it in his instruction and relationship to the twelve. And the first one was selection. The first method of Jesus for winning the world was to just choose average men, average women who were teachable, honest, and and understanding their need for a Savior. Understanding their need for a Savior. So he would pursue people in order to then select them and call them to follow him. Call them to trust him. The next thing that he did was he would then associate with them. Association was his second aspect of it. Having selected his concentrated group, the essence of Jesus' training was to be with them and to have them follow him wherever he went. So discipleship cannot just be what's happening right now on stage. This is a part of discipleship, 
But this is not a primary means for discipleship. Discipleship in community groups can go a little bit deeper because you can have dialogue, you can have a conversation with one another. But taking it even a step further is to be with one another as you walk through life together so that you can pray together and model prayer for one another so that you can study together and model studying the word of God together so that you can talk through finances with one another so that you can actually again be with one another and associate with one another so that you see example there you've heard me talk about this so many times where I went to one of my mentors back in high school I said I don't know how to pray and he said well why don't you go meet with Steve Eskew and just start spending time with Steve Eskew because this guy just exudes prayer. He just prays all the time. And so I was like, hey, Steve, I would love to learn prayer. And he's like, all right, meet me at five o'clock in the morning on Thursday. I'm like, that sounds terrible. I thought you could just pray anytime, but apparently it's 5 a.m. in the morning. So I would just meet with Steve and we would just pray and he would pray for hours. And I'm like, I got to go to school. And he's like, you go ahead. I'm going to keep praying. But like I do, I, I was able to learn prayer by just Seeing him and associating with him on what that looked like. Three was consecration in his chapter. I like to use the word submission here. Where Jesus valued loyalty before just intelligence from his people, from his followers. Joyful willingness to obey Jesus. To obey him. Not just uh, we, we like team Jesus. We like what Jesus stands for. We like it's actually yourself to him it's actually him. a joyful obedience to Jesus is consecration number four is impartation Jesus gave away all that he had to his disciples including his peace his joy his keys to the kingdom his glory and even his life he imparted his life to them which means as disciples we're not like you know I've you know, I've cornered the best commentaries, and so I'm going to hold those close to the heart. Or, I, you know, I've figured out the best way to steward my resources, and so I'm never going to share that with anybody. Or I've, I've cornered the best way on how to have conversations with non-believers about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to share that because I want to keep that for myself. No, he imparted all of his knowledge and his wisdom and his spirituality to his disciples. Five is demonstration. Jesus not only imparted it to them, but he demonstrated it for them. How to live, including how to pray, how to use Scripture. Not just to study Scripture, but how to use Scripture. We've got to remember, Scripture is the offensive tool of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number six was delegation. In the beginning, Jesus' ministry looked like them following him. Towards the end of the three years was him actually employing them to go out and do the ministry themselves. Number seven was supervision. They needed Jesus to correct them at times. They needed that. Because again, what, what do we do? We're called to love God and love others perfectly, but we do that imperfectly because we're still sinners and we're working that out in our flesh relationship with our identity. And so we still do things messed up. And we need Jesus sometimes to call us Satan. Right? I guess Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about right now. We need at times one another to admonish each other. You'll see that in the coming weeks. 
to edify one another, to encourage one another to stop doing something and to start doing something else. We need that because Jesus was doing it for his disciples as well. And then the last one was reproduction. Jesus' strategy was to produce disciples who would reproduce. And he gives that with the Great Commission. Basically, he takes the mission, love God, love one another, and then puts it into the great commandment of go and make disciples of not just here in Jerusalem, but also Judea and Samaria, and also, yeah, to the ends of the world. Every nation, go and make disciples. Those are the eight principles. Those are the methods that Jesus instilled in order to go and make more disciples. To sum it up for us, Jesus didn't teach his disciples through just instruction. He taught them through relationship as well. Through relationship. And so that's why as you're kind of seeing us work this out in our church, we have a combination of both. We have institutes which are absolutely going to err on the side of instruction. We need to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God, in the knowledge of how to pray, in the knowledge of how to counsel, in the knowledge of how to evangelize. And all of those things are working themselves out in how we disciple one another. But at the same time, we need to also create relationship because discipleship is done through relationship. To be in each other's lives when it comes to community groups. And as you're going to start to hear us, we're going to push that down even further, just like Jesus did, where yes, he chose 12, but he even had a specific three that he concentrated more time and energy on in Peter, James, and John. And so for us, that is going to look like some informal, like we're not going to create the three uh, uh, for every single one of you. To find two to three people that in your life is going to be a group that we call these D groups. I really don't care what we call them as long as we're following in the model of Jesus. So there needs to be two to three people that you are meeting with on a weekly basis. See, meeting with, that might be getting together for coffee. That might be through group text message. That might be through showing up at one another's house. But a group of two to three people, that this group of people are going to be the ones who hold you accountable to your discipling relationship with Jesus. How is prayer going? How is studying the Word of God going? How is evangelism going? Are you terrified about that? When was the last time that you looked for an opportunity to share with somebody? What do you feel like you might be lacking in your knowledge of the Word of God? And is there an institute class coming up that we could go and participate in together? How does it look like your family life is going right now? Your relationship with your spouse? Your relationship with your kids? Have you lost your lately? Confess some things. Let's confess those together to one another. Like some of this works itself out in community groups, but can we be honest with ourselves a little bit? We can still hide in community groups. It's just true. We get together and we play the part of how was your week? It was highs and lows and this and that. There's still opportunity in those moments to hide and to not be honest. And what we're asking, what we're begging or is to get our people into groups of two to three even further so that when Jesus goes to pray on the side of a mountain, he's pulling us with him and he's saying, I want you to pray as I'm going to pray. And I might even have to come back and rebuke you for falling asleep and walk with Christ. That's what we need. 
is one another being willing to love each other in such a way that we're calling each other out when we're falling asleep. Now, but you can hear me. That's fine. We're just going to keep going. We have the mission, we have the means, we have the method. And you might be asking, how does this work itself out in the 59 others? The reason why I'm focusing so much right now on the love one another is because 13 of the 59 one another's is love one another. Love one another. It's, it's that imperative. We see it twice in John 13, 34. We see it again in John 13, 35. Love one another in John 15, 12. Love one another in John 15, 17. Love one another in Romans 13, 8. Love each other in 1 Thessalonians. Love one another in John. I'm going to move around just to see if that helps any. Love one another in 1 John 3, 11. 1 John 3, 23. 1 John 4, 7. 1 John, John likes the idea of loving one another. You know, it might also be interesting that he loves that idea so much is because when it comes to the 12, John was considered the disciple whom Jesus loved. Whom he loved. I mean, John is someone, this, is, this isn't a, an intellectual thing regurgitating to his congregation in Ephesus. This is something that he's experienced first first and foremost, from the chest of Jesus as he's reclining Jesus at the Last Supper and experiencing this love from Jesus himself. I mean, he adopted the language of Jesus in that Last Supper when Jesus says to my little children. John uses that same language as he's preaching to his church in Ephesus and he says to my little children. He's been discipled by Christ so much so that he talks like Jesus. Love one another. And we see this really come to fruition in how Jesus loved us by what he did in finishing his life by going to the cross. Like him, him living the perfect life to earn for us righteousness culminates at him literally offering up his life as a sacrifice to finish the discipleship. Like he didn't do it for earthly gain. He didn't position himself with disciples that were going to help his uh, net income or to help his social status or to help him advance in his career. He did it for one thing and one thing only, for the glory and renown of his Father's name to spread over the entire earth. That's Habakkuk 2.14. That's the goal of Jesus. Spread my Father's glory over the earth. And the way in which God spreads His glory over the earth is by laying His life down to the point of death on a cross. We see this in Romans 5, 6-8. through 8. The way in which Jesus loves us is by dying for us. By dying for us. I mean, what a great way to segue into our communion time. 
is as he says in Romans 5, 6 through 8, for while we, you and I, were still weak. Weak. All right? That, when you come back to love God, love one another, we're weak. We can't do it. At the right time, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. For the ungodly. And he kind of goes on, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. What he's kind of saying there is when it comes to earthly economics, people are first willing to do something good for someone who's good. Or for someone who's like them. But think about doing something in this regard, something good, having good will towards someone who has ill will towards you or is considered an enemy of you or is considered ungodly, unrighteous. Who would dare think to do something like that? God would. God would. While we were still weak, at the right time, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love. His love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But what that does for us when it comes to loving God and loving others is there's no judgment that we can cast on who we get to love, who we choose to love, who we choose to engage around us. They're, they're, we're not going to shoot for a target demographic. We're not going to shoot for someone who looks like us. We're going to shoot for those who are ungodly. That's who Jesus shot for. Shoot for those who are sinners. And if you, you are believing in Jesus today, you know the type of sinner that you were. Shoot for sinners. Love them and sacrifice your life. Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Sacrifice your life. And what, what that really means for us, because we're not going to the, the proverbial cross here. What that looks like is, how am I managing my time so that I can create space to pursue the ungodly? To pursue those who don't know Jesus? How can I create space so that, like, God help us? How often do we say, I'm just too busy? I mean, we've got our work cut out for us in creating space for discipleship. Because the way our culture preaches is that if you're not busy, you're not productive. If you're not busy, you're not successful. If you're not busy, you're not, you're, not, you're not contributing to society. You're not contributing to anything that's progressive right now. What we need to do is reprioritize our lives in such a way that, yes, absolutely, we are successful in the sense of taking care of our families, but we need to, at the same time, make sure that we're not biting off more than we can chew and that we are not then being unfaithful to the commands that God has given us in following Jesus 
in loving God and loving others and making disciples, making disciples. And we've got we've got tons of resources on like how to help with that. One of those is just doing an audit of your life where you just examine. I mean, like you just literally pull out a piece of paper and you write down how you spend every hour. What'd you do for this hour? What'd you do for this hour? Just fill it in. Fill it in. It's, it, I probably did one like five or six years ago, and I need to do another one. But how you spend your time, you'll be able to start to see, I can cut this out, and I can cut this out, and I can cut this out. And all of a sudden, now I've got, I've got six hours throughout that week that I can spend differently for the sake of following Jesus, loving God, and loving others. That's a step. There's so many other, there's books, so many books out there right now. Because Pastors and, and, and disciples and church members are exhausted from the busyness of life. So they're putting out resources. A Spacious Life is one right now that I'm, I'm going to start reading this coming week. There's others. Uh, Reset is another good example of a book on just how to, how to audit your life and look at spending it differently. Rule of Life. Just Google Rule of Life. And you'll be able to see so many different resources. But we need to unclutter our lives so that we can create this space and just ask, Lord, how, how do you want me to steward this so that I can be faithful to the command that you've given us to love you and love others? He gives us the means, the fuel, the Christian energy, the lifeblood of a believer by dying on the cross for us, showing the ultimate act of love by laying down his life and this allows us to basically answer as john says for us in first john four nineteen. how do we love we love because he first loved us like that's the fuel that you always have to come back to every single time when you start to feel like this is exhausting i don't know if i can go to this coffee meeting with my disciple group I'm going to go because he first came to me. He first loved me. He first saved me. He first sanctified me. He first matured me. He first grew me. He first rebuked me. He first did all those things for me. And so now I've got some fuel to where I can take that to those who I'm loving now. Who I'm loving now. And so as we come to this time of communion, I'm going to actually just go ahead and have you stand. Let's go ahead and stand up. If you don't have the elements, I want you to go ahead and head back and grab those off the table. As we come to this time of communion, what, as we push into these next few weeks, these next few weeks are going to be diving into to the other uh, 46 one another's. As they're broken out into what it looks like to be in community in the one another's, into serving the one another's, and also reproducing the one another's. It's going to be a lot of do's, because they are commands. These are commands to love one another, and to encourage one another, and to serve one another, and to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so it is going to feel like it's an added expectation of you. And you're going to feel that throughout this year as we talk about our expectations of our covenant members when it comes to discipleship. You're going to feel like the bar's raising a bit in what we expect 
as Jesus has called us and commanded us to these things. And that, we are, again, if you are a believer and you understand His sacrifice for you, it's going to be a joyful willingness and obedience and to submit to these things that God has called us to. And, it's, and if you want to really get to the idea of living a good, living an abundant life, you're only going to live it if we are in joyful submission to these things that Jesus called us to. If you run from it, then you start to have an exhausted life and you start to have a frustrated life and you start to have a depressing life and whatnot when we're running from what he's called us to when it feels like it's extra. So it's going to feel like extra at times. But I promise you, I promise you, it's going to be joyful. It's going to be abundant. It's going to be good for your soul. But what we're going to need to come back to every time so that it doesn't start to feel like a checklist is we need to come back to the source and the means that, that fuels our discipleship. And that's the love of Jesus as He's shown us in His life and ultimately in His death. That He shed His sweat and His blood and His life in order to give us life. And so this meal that we partake of right now for believers who love and trust Jesus and are following him, this meal is to fuel our souls and our efforts in discipleship. As it says at the end of Colossians 1, that we strive forward not with our energy, but with his energy and his might to ultimately make disciples. And so we remember Jesus breaking his body and shedding his blood as an act of love towards us so that as we go out to begin loving God and loving others, we're doing it because we are remembering he first loved us. He first loved us. So I'm going to pray for our meal and continue on in worship. Father, we thank you so much For what you have done in your ultimate plan and will of discipleship. In spreading your glory across the earth. In seeing sinners become saints. And it all hinges on the life, death, and resurrection of your son Jesus whom you sent. To earn for us righteousness that we could not earn to pay the death penalty that we did earn and deserve, and then to resurrect three days later with your generosity of giving us these glorified bodies that allow us to be in your presence for the rest of eternity. Thank you for what you have done. And right now, Lord, we remember your sacrifice at the cross as you broke your body and you shed your blood for the removal and forgiveness of our sins, what a scandalous moment in time that was. We thank you. We honor you and we worship you as the means of our relationship with the Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at